0: So I just want to spend a few moments with you talking about uh, them and talking about our church and how it relates to the next generation. Um, uh, Most of you will know that they're very important to me. I've spent most of my life uh, investing in them. I've been a youth pastor for about 20 years and still consider myself one to a certain extent and and hope that God will always have me in some way invested in that world. Um, But I want to ask you the question today. What happens to you when you think of the next generation like when i say that or if i say to you millennials there it is that's it right so and that that thing kind of happens to us if i say the next generation millennials generation z that'll be the last time that i refer to any of you in that way i know you don't like the labels i get it i was a gen xer i hated labels too see how much we have in common it's great so so I won't do that anymore. But when you think about the next generation, what comes up? Is it positive? Oh, yeah, they're going to be great. Can't wait. I want to see them. I want to help them. I want to invest in them. Or is it negative? Oh, God help us all with the next generation. I don't know what's going to happen to our nation, right? One of those two things probably comes out of you when I say it. And, and we, we do have some uh, concerns. I mean, most of the communication, it seems to me, is negative when it comes to the next generation. That's what I hear. If you look on Facebook, there's so much negative stuff. Millennials, millennials, millennials. Then a millennial will raise his hand and try to say something, and they'll just beat him back down. And so all, all these concerns that we have, and, and sometimes with good reason. sure, we, we've all had concerns. Um, we're concerned about their morality. We're concerned about their work ethic. We're concerned about their lifestyles and their habits. We call them precious little snowflakes, which that's a really encouraging term. We... You know, we say these kinds of things about them, and we're concerned about their technology and the social media usage, and, and don't get us started on texting. Don't let me start on the texting and their ruining of the English language. How they're destroying it with their emojis and their abbreviations and LOL and OMG. I don't even know what's going on. They're ruining the English language. Actually, on that subject, let me read this quote from a popular and concerned author: "The total neglect of this art has been productive of the worst consequences." The wretched state of elocution is apparent to persons of any discernment and taste. If something is not done to stop this growing evil, English is likely to become a mere jargon which everyone may pronounce as he pleases. Some of you think that way about this. Here's the interesting thing about that. That paragraph was written in the year 1780. 1780 by Thomas Sheridan in a preface to a general dictionary of the English language. The truth is is that every generation has massive concerns about the next generation. We have big concerns about them, and oftentimes with good reasons, but historians and psychologists and sociologists and scholars, they've repeatedly documented this uh, cycle, this generational clash that happens, and the paranoia that often accompanies it. In fact, there's a sociologist named David Finkelor who refers to the phenomena as juvenoia, he calls it juvenoia, as in, we all have a severe case of juvenilia. We're concerned about them. But here's the thing. We as the parents and the grandparents, the ones who are leading the effort to cleanse this generation of their ills, we have forgotten all of the attacks that we survived when we were growing up. And everybody said the same things about us. And look at us now. Yeah, maybe not. But, <laughs> but we've forgotten about it. And so that's what leads us to say things like, in my day, right? In my day, we had to walk to school with no shoes, in the snow, uphill. Yeah, both ways. And we liked it, right? That's, that's, that's what we think. We're great there. But in fact, George Orwell, the author, said, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. And if you pause for a moment, you will definitely think that's true. The problem is, is the concerns that we have, the fears that we have, what they do to us is they often cause us to treat them differently. It causes us to just show so much concern for them, to be worried about them, and in many cases, to just avoid them, to just write them off. I don't know what's going to happen with them. God help us when they get in charge. But if we don't open our arms to them, if we don't support them, if we don't care for them, if we don't embrace them, if we don't coach them, nobody else is coming to do that job. How will they ever become the people that God has purposed for them to be unless we engage them? How will they ever become those people? How will they ever become the church of tomorrow unless we hang out with them, embrace with them, and walk with them? Have you, ever, have you ever been lost when you were a kid? Did you ever get lost? Terrifying experience. One time, uh, we, we were with Ross and Amy and our family on a vacation many years ago. Zachary actually was really small. And we were at SeaWorld. And no, don't judge me, I was mad. I was picketing the whole time, it was terrible. And, and, we, and we, went, we, went to, we went to the Shamu show, you know, and I was yelling, BOOM! Animal cruelty the whole time. But um, we went to the Shamu show. And afterwards, everybody, get, everybody exits. It's an arena. So there are thousands of people that are exiting along with us. And our family's walking together. And Ross had, was with some of the family. And Amy was with some of the family. And Zach, I think, got lost with another family member. And we couldn't find him. So ever, so, Ross is calling. Amy's calling. And everybody's searching frantically. I'm panicked. Maria's panicked. We didn't have kids yet. We're just freaking out about this. And he's gone for like 10, 15 minutes. I don't know. Meanwhile, there's thousands of people just walking. And we're thinking, this is it. Zachary's gone. And so finally, we discover, oh, he's with so-and-so, and they show up, and, you know, he comes, he finally finds his mom, finds Amy, and she <laughs> lays into him. <laughs> where were you? What were you doing? But uh, anyway, that's another story. And, and we found him, and we were okay. We're like, oh, oh, my goodness, that was so scary. Have you ever experienced that? It's so frightening. In Luke chapter 2, we read a story like this about Jesus. In Luke 2, 41, here's what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the only account that we have of Jesus as a child or a preteen in scripture. And imagine that you're the ones that are responsible. You're tasked with the responsibility of being the parents of God. And you're doing the very best that you can, right? You're taking him to Jerusalem. You're trying to, to help him become a good Jewish man. And along the way, you lose him. Oh, great, you just lost God. Like, congratulations. And you can imagine Mary and Joseph and bickering as they're freaking out about this. And Mary's saying, well, Joseph, this kind of irresponsibility comes from your side of the family. And Joseph's like, hey, I got nothing to do with it, man. I've, uh, not even. A <laughs> <Hey. Got it. laughs> little theology joke for you this morning. As they're traveling, though, Jesus' extended family is probably traveling with them. And so the men are probably traveling together, the women are probably traveling together, and the kids will run back and forth to each group, right? And so it'd be easy for them to not realize that Jesus wasn't with one or the other. And so after a full day of travel, they realize Jesus is not here. Have you ever done this? Like, have you ever lost a kid? Have you lost them? Like, you don't know where they are? I mean, we haven't. We're good parents. but, but But maybe you have. It's a terrifying feeling. You can imagine Mary and her, her concern and, and she's so scared about this. And Joseph probably, I don't know, sometimes men are like, well, oh, it's a good Bill's character. But, but they're nervous about this and they're searching frantically and finally they come upon him and they find him. But it takes three days, three days Jesus is gone. And this raises important questions for me. Who was taking care of Jesus? Like who, where did he sleep? Who watched over him and made sure that he was safe? Who cared for him who who fed this 12 year old boy and and those of you who have fed a 12 year old boy you know this is no small matter who who did that jesus doesn't perform his first miracle until he's in the wedding in cana so we know that so he wasn't in a back alley somewhere like multiplying loaves and fishes for himself that wasn't happening so who is caring for him the implication in the passage is that the community steps in That the community steps in for a boy that they didn't know They saw a young man and they welcomed him to their table. They listened to him. They fed him. By the time his parents caught up with him, he's sitting there in the temple having questions and answers and amazing everybody around. I wonder if the experience of young people in our church is the same as the experience Jesus had. I wonder if when young people come into our church, if they feel known and valued and heard, loved, welcomed to the table? And not just teenagers and kids, but what, what, about, what about young adults? What about single people? What about different ethnic groups? What about people that are new to the community? What about those people who don't look or act or think or believe like we do? What about all those people? Oftentimes in churches what happens is that Kids are segregated from the life of the church. They're pulled apart. They're sent off to the kids' table while we all do our adult table thing. And we give in to the consumerism in our culture where we just want to give everybody what they want. So the adults want their thing where they can worship unencumbered with their hymnals. (laughs) And the kids can go to their classes and they can play with Play-Doh and and do their thing. They can dance around and be noisy and crazy. We give in to consumerism trying to please everybody, And it's not good. It's no secret that young people are leaving the church as they get older, partly because of this fact. They've not been embraced and welcomed into the church life. And there's lots of fear about that, how they're leading. There's lots of studies about it, well-documented. And it seems pretty scary, and there's a lot of concern about it. And it is a serious matter, but the discussion about that's more nuanced than those stats give you credit for. But here's the thing. I... even, even though that's the case, there are many churches in the country today that are intentionally growing young. And that's going to be the kind of church that we are. We're going to work hard to grow young. I've said this before, but a church grows old all by itself. We have to work together to grow young. If we don't, then we are the last generation. We'll all grow up and we'll be done but we don't want that to happen down here. We want ministry and Kyle from one chapel to happen for years and years and decades to come. And that means that we have to embrace the family for that to happen. So I want you to decide with me today that we will welcome the next generation to the family table. We'll do it. Fuller Youth Institute has recently released a great deal of research on young people, age 15 to 29, talking about the things they're looking for in a church and talking about six characteristics through their studies that churches are implementing in order to grow young. We're not going to talk about them all today. I'm not talking about being consumer-driven or any of that. I'm talking about becoming the people of God that welcomes young people. So I want to talk to you about one of those characteristics today. Because what happens is, most of us will think, well, the, yeah, sure, the young people, they want cool. They're looking for the cool church. They want the best lights, which we don't have. I'm happy with what we got, but we don't have the best lights. They want the densest fog. They want the coolest videos, which we kind of have. Thanks, Rob Stennett. They, they're looking for um, the hippest music, the hipsterist pastor. Sorry. They're looking for the deepest V-necks and the most infinity scarves. Like, they, they want... They want all the best and coolest stuff. That's what young people want. That's not true. All the research, thousands and thousands of young people. You know what's going on? Young people are not looking for a cool church. They want a warm church. They want a warm church. They want a church where they're welcome to the table, where they belong, where they're accepted, where they are. A church that will authentically walk with them into adulthood in the grace of God. In the fuller research, one of the most common descriptors young people used to describe churches they love was like family. And they'll use words like welcoming, accepting, belonging, hospitable, and authentic. I know we all say this. We all say, oh yeah, sure, we're the family, we're the family of one chapel kyle. But not not many churches are willing to actually do the work that's required to become the family. Because it's not exactly easy. And the truth is some of the family members don't even want the kids to be at the table. Not, they don't want them here. It's easier if they're not here. They're loud, they're obnoxious. They're messy. They create messes. They say weird and inappropriate things. They're awkward. They create awkward moments. It's so much easier if they're not around. Sometimes they're stinky. Like I just don't want them around. It requires so much effort of us who are older to embrace them. It means I have to come to church and I have to do stuff. I have to work. I have to invest. I'm not sure I'm willing to do that. So what happens is churches approach ministry to people through the lens of an educational system rather than the arms of a loving family. And we have those classes and they're appropriate and they're good. But all of our young people need to be engaged and welcomed to the family table. Because the truth is, some of those things that I said, those are actually true. They, they They can be awkward. They do cause messes. It is sometimes difficult. It's challenging. And it does require things of us. But you know what the reality is? The reality is they have much of what we need to continue to be the church in this culture they do. That may come as a surprise to some of you, but their energy, their vitality, their passion, their desire for justice and rightness and, and, and righteousness, their innovation, like we need those things as part of our church today. And what they're searching for is a warm community where they will be embraced, the kind of community that the theologian Miroslav Volf talks about. He says, it's a community that's like the Trinity itself. Where we not, where we, when we say, uh, we are the church, we don't mean, yeah, we meet occasionally. We say, we are the church, we don't mean, yeah, we cooperate in certain projects together. When we say, we are the church, like the Trinity, we are saying, we are actually becoming a part of one another, integrating into one another's lives. It's what Paul would talk about in Romans twelve five when he says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So increasing warmth in our church, it's not just about growing young, though that's important. It's also just about good theology. It's the kind of people that we're supposed to be. And this is not just for them. We are not only interested in serving the next generation. They, in turn, need to honor and support you who are older, to believe in you and listen to you and gain the wisdom that you have. This is what family does. We serve one another's needs and we do that well. And this, I think, is where it gets difficult, because when you come to the family table, who really sets the culture at the table? Think about your house. Who sets the culture? You want to say it's the dad. I want to say, I set the culture at my dinner table. It's not true. Think about it. It's the difference between two adults, two couples getting together and having dinner, and two couples getting together to have dinner with a bunch of kids. That's two different conversations. Very different. Lots of different things happening. The kids set the culture. We guide it, we, tr- we train, we help, we coach. Get your elbows off the table, please. Stop saying that, please. Please stop making those sounds. All those things, that's what we do. Everybody, that's a perfect picture of what our church has to be like. Yeah. They're welcome to the table. It's kind of messy. It's a little crazy, but they set much of the culture and we help them and we coach them and we train them. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I get it. So Pastor Ross is off on a sabbatical, and so the old youth pastor is taking a shot to make sure that the church, like, we're going to be a young people church from now on. I get how this goes. That's not what's happening. In fact, you can, you can go to Amazon.com, and you can look up Ross Parsley, and you can buy his book, Messy Church, where he talks about all of this. This is in the heartbeat of our pastor and it's necessary for us as a church and for the next generation. It is our responsibility as the older generation to train, to encourage, and to connect our kids to the family story. And we have two options how we can do this. We can say, yes, kids, come. Come to the family table. But understand, we're in charge. Him knows every day. You will wear these clothes. You will do these things. You will not make a mess. We could do that. We could say, we're in charge. Or we could say... We want you to come to the table. We want you to embrace you. We want you to bring all your stuff, your innovation, your ideas, your passion, your life, your quest for justice, all those things. We want you to bring all of it. And some of it's going to be too crazy, and we're going to say, you need to temper that a little bit. But we want you to know that you have a place here, and you belong here. And what happens is, you bring all of that innovation to us, and then we, we take all of our heritage and the story of the Christian faith and the life and the wisdom that we have, and we give it back to you. And this crisscross happens because we need both. We need the heritage, but we also need the innovation. We need both of those if we're to be the church in this city that we're supposed to be. It's important that we do this. And so what it means for us is that the older generation, we have to lean. We have to lean towards the next generation. And that hurts sometimes. It means we have to sacrifice some of the things that we like for them. But this is necessary, and this is important, and this is the kind of church we want to be. But not only that, then they have to reach back and honor and support and listen to what happens here. The fact of the matter is, our churches, our church here, One Chapel Kyle, we need Abrahams, and we need Isaacs, and we need Jacobs. We need all three working together. We need grandmas and grandpas. We need middle-aged moms and dads. We need young professionals. We need teenagers. We need kids if we're really going to be a healthy family. If we're really going to accomplish the purposes of God as a church, this is what we have to do. So everybody, I want to introduce a new idea to you, and I want you to start to use it. And that idea is this, warm is the new cool. Warm is the new cool. And do you know why this excites me so much? Because we can do this today. We can start it now. It's what they want it's what the younger generation is looking for in you and me. And oftentimes when they look at a church, they'll say, I don't want to be any part, any part of that institution. I don't want to be any part of that thing. We can turn all of that around for our church here by simply embracing them. I believe it's the call of God on our church. I believe it's the vision of our senior pastor, and I want us to be it. Warm is the new cool.